Hey there, friends. How's it going? My name is Kyle Devlin, and I am the host of this podcast. This is the Having a Blast podcast. Having a Blast is a pop punk and emo podcast where we'll be doing a deep dive on important albums and bands. We'll also be speaking with band members, producers, and friends. If you happen to like what you hear, if you could do me a huge favor, perhaps give us a five-star review. That just really helps get the algorithms working in our favor, and then more people can hear the podcast. Or Another thing that really helps us out is if you share it with a friend. If you've got a friend that enjoys this type of music, pop punk and indie, I'd greatly appreciate it. All right, without further ado, let's get into it. friends what is up welcome to the show today i'm extremely excited because i'm talking to my partner in crime my main person miss pamela we're going to be discussing one of her favorite albums one of my favorite albums of the 90s as well we're going to do a deep dive on tragic kingdom and just talk about the album talk about our experiences with the album we're going to talk about the first time we heard some of the songs from the album the videos the culture everything we're going to get into it so without further ado i just want to introduce one of the most beautiful kind and caring thoughtful souls i've ever met in my entire life and she just happens to spend a lot of time with me I love her so much, Miss Pamela. Oh, hi. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about this today. We've been talking about doing this for a while. It's always nice getting different perspectives on this stuff. I've been talking to a lot of male guests on this particular podcast, so I'm very glad and thankful that she is humoring me, and we're going to talk about this today. All right. As I was just looking up the album, I noticed that today is, in fact, the 26th anniversary of the record. It came out on this date, October 10th, 1995, so a little bit later in the year. I don't know why, but I thought this is an earlier in the year release, but that's pretty cool. It was meant to be. We were meant to talk about this album today. But I just wanted to get a quick introduction from you for the listeners. Can you just tell me where you grew up and how you got into music and some of the things that you were into when you were really young? And then if you want to, you can just go ahead and tell me about the first time you heard No Doubt and this particular record, Tragic Kingdom. Well, hello, having a blast, listeners. (laughs) I'm Pamela, Kyle's better half. I, oh gosh, this is so fun getting to talk about music. Just so you know, and just for context, you were taking the puppy outside, but I introduced you as my partner in crime and my best person. And yeah, you're my person. Just so you know the context of how I introduced you just now. Also, that's so I don't get too braggy about how cool I am. Just kidding. Yeah. Okay. So I grew up in primarily small towns in Iowa. And Kyle, as you are very familiar, being somebody who traveled to many small towns in Iowa and throughout the Midwest with your band, that middle school, junior high into high school age, us small town kids in the middle of nowhere were craving any kind of inspiration in music form. And, you know, I'd grown up my parents listened to a lot of Southern gospel music. 
music. I grew up listening to a lot of that and the oldies station, you know, that Lion King soundtrack. That was another big hit in my house. Yeah, the Lion King soundtrack was my jam. I mean, can you feel the love tonight? (laughs) I don't know. And I remember when I was younger, there were, when we went to the mall, there were Christian bookstores that my family frequented. And there'd be these big displays, right, on the wall that it was like, if you like this music, you should try. It always pointed to secular bands, not Christian bands, in certain styles. And then it would offer a Christian seal of approval version on the other side. And honestly, that was as expansive of music education that I had for a really, really long time. And I would go into the store and I would look at these CD displays. I don't even know what these other bands are. I have no idea. And at the time too, you may remember there were a lot of places that they were putting headphones attached to the wall so that you could listen to different music. Yeah, the listening stations. I remember those at Sam Goody and what were the other big music chains? I forget now because they're all extinct. Sam Goody and For Your Entertainment was an FYE one. I remember they didn't have those in Kansas City, but they had them in Texas and I had family in Texas and we would go to the Houston mall, this gigantic mall. And I remember there was a big music store called FYE. Yeah, well, and that was... That was amazing, right? Because those of us who didn't have a ton of variety with radio stations or access to variety of different music, that's how we got to test drive a million different things. I remember that we went to the Walmart in Des Moines because that's where my grandparents lived. And that's like a big one, right? That's the big Walmart. And they had a music listening station. I saw this album cover and it had these bright colors on it. And it had this amazing looking dynamic woman with this bright hair. And it was so colorful and vibrant and a woman front and center front and a little off to the side. But I I had to listen. I had to listen. I remember popping those big headphones on my little bee ears and I was just floored. I was absolutely floored. And yeah, see, see, we're looking at the album cover right now. Yes, I hadn't seen anything quite like it. And the fact there's flies on it too, it was sort of like weird and almost like upsetting, but it, I just couldn't help myself. It felt a little scandalous, I guess, to listen to something so dynamic, so different. She looks strong. It's interesting. And I just, I hadn't heard anything like it before. It was around the holidays. And I remember that my grandma had given me money for Christmas that year. And that's what I picked. I picked that CD. It was the first CD I ever owned. The first compact disc was No Doubt's Tragic Kingdom. So cool. I love that story. There's something about owning the first compact disc or the first piece of tangible music that's yours. There's something really cool about that. And it's been a minute since I've looked at this album cover. It's interesting. The flies almost don't really make sense, but I guess they kind of do for 90s aesthetic. It's interesting too. You've got Gwyn, who's very prominent on the album cover, and then you've got the band members off in the distance in a field, almost like they're separated from her, which is interesting, especially when you think of the Don't Speak Music video and the storytelling that they're doing and 
everything that they went through with Tony, their bass player, being in a relationship with Gwen before this and then them still maintaining to keep the band together. It's also interesting to see the text choices because they're really bold. It almost looks like it was done in Photoshop before Photoshop existed. She's even got a silhouette. She's very clearly cut out of whatever. I would imagine they did it behind a white background or something and then cut her out and placed her on top of that layout. However, they used to do it back then, probably screen printing, just layers and things. And it also says No Doubt Brand and it's trademarked. You can see it. It says bought and sold out in USA which is kind of cool. I don't really, is that like an orange thing? Is that what they're trying to? Because she's holding an orange, right? And there's a couple oranges that are actually rotting on the album cover. This is kind of an interesting album cover when you really take the time to look at it and dissect it a little bit. Yeah, but you can remember at the time, that was a lot of those punk bands or punk influenced bands. They were doing weird stuff like that, right? They were sort of pushing that line of classical goth, not like Hot Topic, Black Pants goth, but a little weird, a little disgusting. Oh, who did that music video? There was like a melting Barbie in it on a grill. It was in the 90s. Yeah, maybe. But there was just a lot of bands that were just trying to push the envelope without being aggressive, but on what we watched, what we consumed. Yeah, but it's still bright at the same time. So it's got that late 90s fun aspect to it as well. It's not dark. It's ushering in a new era after grunge. And I think that started with Green Day's Dookie and the fact that Kurt Cobain unfortunately passed in 1994. Beyond that, I think people were just ready for something more fun and upbeat and no doubt was a perfect band for that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because the stuff that was playing on the radio at the time, I mean, wasn't weren't the first two singles we had Just a Girl and we had Spiderwebs. Both of these songs were, I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine being a young teen girl or preteen girl and hearing these, hearing this woman singing out about all these stereotypes of what it is to be a girl and how she was pushing back against them, especially growing up in the middle of nowhere, Iowa, in farming communities, growing up in the church and things like that. I feel like there was just a lot of messaging about the things that we were supposed to be, the rules that we were supposed to follow. And here was this strong, powerful, dynamic, beautiful woman saying, I don't have to be just a girl. And it was really exciting. It was really thrilling and empowering for me. Yeah, I love that. And of course, I didn't think that at the time, being an 11-year-old boy. I just thought, oh, okay, cool. Like, it's a female and this video is cool and this song is catchy. (laughs) I look at her now and you mentioned earlier that she looks strong. She does look strong. I don't think I ever recognized that at first, but she almost looks like she lifts. Like she's got muscle tone and development in her her arms and things. And there's something to be said about that too. I wonder if Gwen is somebody that, I mean, clearly I would imagine she exercises in some form, but I'd be curious to know if she lifts specifically. Okay. So do we want to just get into the record and go down the list of songs and maybe do some highlights of things that we think? Do you remember seeing the music video of any of the singles for the first time? Yeah, actually we didn't have cable at my house. And so there was no MTV at my parents and so the first video that I ever saw was actually Don't Speak and I saw it at my grandma's house because she had all the cables and she had MTV and when I would stay overnight with them they'd let me stay up a little bit later and I could watch whatever I wanted and I remember seeing it on their TV (laughs) at their house and that music video is epic epic 
I love any music video that tells a really amazing story. And so I became even more attached to them as storytellers, as musicians as well, because that was something that I always thought they did a really, really good job of. Even the fun ones, but particularly Don't Speak. That's, you can see, you can see that there are many layers to them creating that song and telling that story in the video and everything. And I just thought it was so dynamic and unique. They also have, fast forward later, Cool is another really dramatic music video that they did and it was one of my favorites for ever yeah that don't speak video is heavy and the filter that they used on it i feel as if it sort of captures the sound and the overall mood of what they're trying to say with that song and it really holds up i feel like you could watch that video today and it would be like it was released yesterday it doesn't look dated by any means it looks completely professional a heavy topic but one that i think a lot of people can relate to and it's pretty miraculous to to think that they were poised to become one of the biggest bands in the world right after that, after going through something that was maybe fairly traumatic for both of them, because they were in a relationship together and then they broke up shortly before this record. If I have my facts straight, I could be wrong there, but I think they figured that in the best interest of the band, they'd maintain a friendly relationship to keep the band going. And I think it probably was a good decision, a smart decision on their part, because I'm sure that paved the way for the rest of their lives, really. I mean, they're still known as Tony from No Doubt, Gwen from no doubt, Gwen Stefani. I mean, she's definitely forged her own path as a solo artist too. So it's not just no doubt, it's Gwen Stefani as an institution really at this point. But yeah, crazy to think about the dynamics that were happening in the band and then to make this music video to put it front and center. You know, they weren't pulling any punches with the themes of that song in that video. And I think real quick, the first time I saw a video from No Doubt, it was Just a Girl. And it reminded me of Green Day. It reminded me of watching Basket Case, just very bright colors, but very in your face. The camera was really close to her face in many points and they just looked tough and the song was catchy and it had that 90s feel and I just immediately loved it. I didn't really connect with it the same way you did, obviously, but I liked the theme of the song how you can have female fronted bands kicking ass and taking names and playing with the boys. I never really thought when I was younger I didn't think about the disparity between how many male fronted bands you had versus female fronted bands and now you know there's a lot more inclusivity I think in the scene. There's more I mean there's definitely more female fronted bands and even trans fronted bands so there's more representation there I think when it comes to stuff like this but it was cool to see a female just rocking. Well, because if you think about it, right, No Doubt came after the Riot Girl era. So we have these massively influential bands, but they weren't mainstream. So Riot Girl bands like Bikini Kill and Early Sleater Kinney, and you've got front women like friggin' Kathleen Hanna, just hella wild and fierce and bold and aggressive and all these things that women weren't supposed to be. Gwen was, she was definitely a more digestible version of that, but it allowed her to infiltrate that mainstream. It allowed her to be punk rock, but still something approachable that they would play on MTV that I could grab off of the shelf and my mom wouldn't be weirded out just looking at the cover. Maybe she didn't see the flies in the 
rotting oranges. I don't know. But it's so clear that that was her inspiration point. You know, you say the same things too about who influenced Green Day and then who influenced Blink. But there was something still approachable about Green Day. There's something still approachable about Blink that allowed them to be a part of the mainstream without being mainstream, right? Because they were still bucking trends. They were still saying things that were dynamic. They were still being rebellious. And I feel like Gwen did that really with this artful flair, right? Where she was bucking these trends and she was saying, I'm not just a girl, but she was doing it in a way that gave a more wide breadth and more accessibility to young people that maybe didn't necessarily know quite what to do with a Kathleen Hanna. And that's totally okay. But that's what started it for me was listening to women like Gwen say, you don't have to do everything that you're told all the time exactly the way the person did before you. Yeah, absolutely. And she kicked down the doors for, I think, a lot of people in doing so. Yeah. So the first song, I always forget that the first song is Spiderwebs, which also has a great music video. I just remember on the radio, they just played this song so, so much. I love the intro with the horns, but no doubt never really struck me as a ska band. I really got into ska maybe a couple years after this, around the 1997 mark. I heard, maybe it was 96, I heard Losing Streak from Less Than Jake, and I heard Dancehall Crashers, which was another punk ska band, similar in the vein of early No Doubt, and I'm sure that they were influencing No Doubt and influenced by No Doubt at the same time. But there's something a little bit more reggae and radio rock and also punk rock about spiderwebs. Something about the guitar tones. The guitar tones don't really sound like your traditional ska. Anytime he does the upstrokes, it's always a little bit more distorted. I always feel like they had their own lane when it came to that. And I really didn't think of ska whenever I heard Tragic Kingdom. So what are your thoughts on spiderwebs? I mean, Kyle, you know that I have to be honest. I have to be in the right mood for ska. I do. I don't know what it is, but it has to be a minimum of 78 degrees and I have to be outside to listen to horns. I'm not sure why. (laughs) But again, it was the same thing. It was a blending of these genres in a way that was accessible. It was something fun and it was something quirky, but it had this beat to it that it wasn't like you could dance to it, but you wanted to move your body. Does that make sense? You felt like you should be stomping around on shit somewhere. That's just the vibe that you got from it. It had its own rhythm. Yeah, it has almost more of halftime danceable reggae flow to it than it does ska. I don't imagine people skanking to No Doubt. I just imagine them dancing. For anybody that's unaware, skanking is the traditional ska dance. It's ridiculous. And I love it when... It reminds me of Charlie Brown dancing. <laughs> yeah, I love it when Jake Peralta talks about his love of ska, which is Andy Samberg on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he literally starts skanking. That's the joke. It's so random, and I'm sure there's so many millennials that have no idea what he's talking about, but for me, it's just so funny. Yeah, this song is just great. It's obvious that it was going to be a single from the get-go. It's got a really catchy chorus. I didn't realize it's nearly five minutes long, which is a long song for a radio hit, and I think 90s is probably the last bastion of long songs like that. You really don't have songs that long anymore. They tend to get shorter and shorter, it seems, except for Billie. Billie Eilish, she doesn't care. There are no rules. She is allowed to make up her own rules, her own noises, and however long she wants to make a song. That's true. I would love to know what Billie Eilish thinks of Gwen Stefani because you just know she's a huge fan. Worship rock star. I know she's a big Green Day fan too. Okay, cool. So Spiderwebs, obviously we've all heard that song. It's a great song, great tune, great album opener. It sets the tone for the whole record, I think. Let's just move on to the next song, yeah? Okay, so you have thoughts on Excuse Me, Mister? You want me to tell you 
what I think. I love this song because it's punk rock. This is where Adrian really gets to shine. And you can tell he grew up listening to NoFX. And I know he's a big NoFX fan. I have a fun story. When I saw NoFX for the first time, they were playing Warp Tour. And No Doubt was also on the tour. Or maybe this is the second time I saw him play officially. But I remember their drummer, Smelly, Eric Smelly. <laughs> that's his name. He broke his thumb and he could do all the double time songs for whatever reason, but he couldn't do the halftime song. So Adrian came out and played all of the halftime songs. And I remember seeing Adrian from No Doubt play The Bruise by NoFX. And this is totally a punk rock beat. And what's also interesting about this song is how they pull it back for the chorus. Usually you'd have big, bombastic, distorted guitars right there, but they almost pull it back. And they really just let her voice shine. And that's the highlight, Gwen's voice. And I love all of her quirky vibrato in this song. Right, because she used her voice as an instrument. And so that was part of the beauty of it, right? You didn't need to have those massive guitar lines or add more horns or anything like that because her voice did that for you. Yeah, very upbeat tune. I love the bridge of this song. And then you have the next single, Just a Girl, which we've kind of talked about already. Great song. And as far as sequencing of the album, do you think it was smart for them to do that third? I almost feel like it was better for them to do that third rather than first. I'm not a huge fan when you have an album where the highlighted song or the first single is the first song. Because what invariably happens is that song gets played the most and then it becomes a song that you skip. And there's something that I don't love about having an album where you skip the first song or it's been played out so many times that you want to skip it. Yeah, maybe that's where I got that idea that the third song is always the best song and that's where you put your single is the third song. Maybe it's from this album. I don't know, but I feel like I still get that way. What's the third song on this album? That's the one I have to listen to first. Yeah. So then you have Happy Now. It's got kind of a darker tone, but I like all of the staccato guitar parts that Tom, their guitar player, I love all of his little staccato accents and things. He's a really underrated guitarist, I think, but he cultivated his own guitar sound on this record. What do you think of Happy Now? I always thought it was really interesting the way that Gwen would also have these slides into these minor chords that created stress in the song. She's saying these words, are you happy now? But you can hear in the tone the anger and the frustration and the resentment. And so it's really, really fascinating. I think there were so many big emotions in these songs that I didn't quite grasp. I had a small hint of it, but it wasn't until I was much older that I really heard her feelings, her frustrations, her real thoughts on some of those underlying themes where there was so much to be angry about. (laughs) You know, that whole band, they created it with the way that they manipulate those melodies. Yeah, those contrasting melodies with the guitars, the horns, the bass, and the vocals. There's a lot going on in this record, and there's so many different elements. I mean, like we said before, there's elements of reggae, pop, ska, rock, radio rock, and I'm just looking at some of the background of the record. I didn't realize that the album was recorded in 11 different studios in LA. They must have seen something that they saw major potential in, in Gwen, and they really had to get this record right. That's what I'm assuming when I look at that, the fact that it took them nearly two years to record this record. And you mentioned that there's plenty to be angry about. I didn't realize that the album is a play on Disney World or Disneyland, which is often called the Magic Kingdom. So Tragic Kingdom, it's almost as if her experiences are in the world of the Tragic Kingdom. It takes on a whole new meaning for me, especially in a song like Happy Now, which may or may not be referencing Tony again, right? And where she's talking directly at some 
somebody. Well, and you can hear in more than one song too, an anger, a frustration with male authority figures and saying, excuse me, mister, and then asking someone if they're happy now. There's a lot of anger and frustration over men, over male authority figures. And I didn't know that they'd recorded in so many different places. But I mean, think about it right? If you're trying to put songs out and you're telling these stories of being angry at authority male figures, you're going to be pushing back against them. It would not surprise me at all if she had been butting heads with some of these different producers or engineers, whatever the case may be. Women were crawling and fighting tooth and nail to make a name for themselves. And so there's definitely a consistent theme of pushing back. And I get the sense that maybe it's gatekeepers too within the music industry. I'm sure they were pushing back on that. I mean, everybody was. Everybody was pushing against the man, which was the machine of the major label records at the time. Okay, so different people. I think what I like about this song is all of the interesting harmonies. In re-listening to this album, I forgot how this is a record right before Pitch Correction. So they were really pushing her voice. But she goes into some interesting runs on this particular song and this album as a whole. But this song also reminds me of Dancehall Crashers, another great ska female-fronted band. They had two female singers that would harmonize with each other. And this song has a lot of harmonies in it. I like this song because it's a little bit more dancey, a little bit more reggae-influenced, a little bit more more the toasters classic ska that's a little bit slowed down and lots of horns in this song too which i know you're a fan of pamela yeah this was not my favorite song on the album i have to be honest this was the one song that i would sometimes skip is there anything about this song that you do like i mean i did like the harmonies on it as well that was always really really cool that was something that i was trying to learn to do on my own while i was listening to music in my room and trying to find those harmonies that's something that was really interesting to me was that you could have music that wasn't just southern gospel and finding harmonies in it so that was something that i really liked yeah so hey you starts off with that sitar i feel like this song belongs in 10 things i hate about you it's got that kind of throwaway pop beginning guitar line and the chorus of this one feels very bubbly almost like they were thinking maybe this is a single contender but then they decided not to because there were stronger songs on the album it's another good storytelling one too which i always really really liked but it is it's almost overly sticky sweet kind of a feel which was clearly very very intentional she's singing about her ken and barbie doll i always thought that was really really fascinating because i could picture parts of that story in my head as she was singing it and i always thought that was really rad yeah the climb very long song six minutes and 36 seconds it was a climb <laughs> before miley did the climb <laughs> yes that's a wonderful observation this song I don't remember listening to this song a whole lot back in the 90s. This might have been one that I unfortunately skipped. I feel like this is one, I know, this is one that I feel like I would like to have on in the background these days in the summertime. And yeah, I like the 6-8. I always like those types of songs that harken back to the 50s and 60s now. And that beat always reminds me of some of the early MXPX songs because they like to use that beat just a little bit more sped up. But lots of great melodies and harmonies throughout this song. Well, and again, we've got more examples of having to work really hard, having to overcome things, having to push back. And I think 
again, just more stories of people having to fight against adversity, trying to get ahead, trying to keep moving forward. And if you listen to the bridge on that one too, it's simple. You really hear how talented she is, how beautiful her voice can be. Because in this album, there are plenty of times where she doesn't care if her voice sounds beautiful. She's in there because she's creating a sound. She's using it as an instrument. And there's this really beautiful moment where you hear how pretty, typically pretty, it can sound, which creates even more contrast with the other kinds of noises and sounds that she makes with her voice, which I always thought was really fascinating. And she's also talking about the obstacles of being in a band. I mean, at this point, they had been a band for a few years and they'd been in the scene for a long time. And just to get this record out, I'm sure it was a climb. It was difficult and arduous and lots of gatekeepers along the way and maybe second guessing yourself. Yeah, absolutely. 16's most noteworthy part, I think, is the beginning. It reminds me of Stone Temple Pilots or just it's more grungy. It's definitely got a grunge vibe to it that guitar line and the effects that they used but I like this one it's another fun danceable reggae tune okay so now we're gonna talk about Sunday morning which is your favorite song on the record right you've told me this before yeah yes this one's my favorite I think it is the most catchy I do I know everybody knows Just a Girl and Spiderwebs and Don't Speak, but... It should have been a single, right? 100%. And you, I know that there was some element of it getting played a little bit, but it just wasn't enough. It definitely did not get the time or the space that it should have. I love this song. Did they make a video for it or they just played it on the radio? That's a good question. We should probably Google that, but... Because I'm not recalling off of the top of my head, to be honest. I loved 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 this song you know how everybody has that one song that yeah that's my karaoke song this is my karaoke song it has a drive it has momentum it tells an amazing story it's so dynamic I love this song. There is, in fact, a video, and I love Adrian's look. He's got the frosted tips. This is so 90s, quintessential 90s video right here. Another cool filter on it. It doesn't look dated. It almost looks like the same filter they used for Don't Speak. Nah, I think it's not as pretty as Don't Speak. Don't Speak looks like it has one of those Visco Girl filters on it. Yeah, but it almost looks like the filter that they have on British soap operas where it's a little bit grainy but still looks new at the same time the colors pop out of it well and i mean so okay so obviously we're watching it (laughs) we're watching it while we're talking but that's the thing even the music video feels a little bit like a throwaway which is too bad because i ah, i love the song so much it just it has a vibe you can see that gwen is vibing with this song but it's a garage they're singing in a garage which is great oh girl had to babysit that bleach and tone look for sure it's not easy to get that platinum and still have hair on your head gonna be honest Gwen is a vision of hair color maintenance (laughs) I would imagine I would imagine coloring her hair was not easy she had some tough roots yeah her hair is platinum there I mean it's about as white as you can possibly get and it's almost like they really did the white makeup too I just think of Cher and Clueless It is a bit of a throwaway video. It looks like one location they did it at a house and they're playing in the garage, but I do feel like this song deserved a little bit more attention. It did. It's a fascinating song. It's so fun. It has such a fierce bridge to it, which is awesome. It's fun to bop along to, but it still has some personality. It still has that punk feeling of doing what she wants, which I love. 
I don't know. I thought it was the catchiest of all of them. And maybe that was just me being a little bit punk rock about an album that went mainstream. I didn't want to love the singles as much as everybody else did. I wanted the sleeper hit that was hidden at the bottom half of the album. Yeah, I like that. That doesn't surprise me at all. You were being punk rock about it. You were being... a. You were being a bit of a gatekeeper with No Doubts Sunday Morning. I love it. It's a great song, and I tend to just lump it in with the rest of the singles as being a single that was released, because I do remember hearing it on the radio. And then you've got the song next, which we've talked about a little bit, Don't Speak. But is there anything else you can remember about this song back in the 90s? I think this song, it probably had legs, and it was more popular in 1996 than it was in 1995, especially since the record was released at the end of the year. So I think 96 was really when this song was popping off. It was the third official single released, and they played this video all the time it was in regular rotation okay so in 96 i was a freshman in high school and i don't know man like you think back about how big everything felt when you were 15 years old everything felt so epic right everything was life or death if that person looked at you sideways in the hallway when you were walking down (laughs) through your high school that was life or death levels of epic I feel like this song encapsulated that really really well everything felt so big and it was maybe it was just me being 15 and full of hormones and anxiety overthinking everything all the time but it gave me a really beautiful outlet for that that was the song that you listen to in your car with your windows rolled down so loudly, scream singing it at the top of your lungs because you had so many feels pent up in you and you had no idea what to do with them. And this song gave you that outlet. That was beautiful. I love it. Yeah, no, this is great. This is excellent. I, I can feel how important this record is to you. This is one of your favorite records of all time. I remember we bought it on vinyl and it was a beautiful day when we finally found this on vinyl. Yeah, because my favorite records, I refuse to order them from somewhere. I have to locate them. They have to be found in a record store. And we did. And it was a beautiful day. But yes, this is, <laughs> I'm laughing at myself. I'm not good at picking favorites of things. I prefer subcategories and then I can pick a favorite. What's your favorite movie? No, no. What's my favorite dramatic movie with an all-male cast? Oh, Dead Poet Society? Yes, that's correct. But hands down, without subcategories, this album is one of my most favorite albums of all time. And Beyonce. And Beyonce, yes. Yeah, we talk about Beyonce a lot on this podcast. Yeah, that kind of blew my mind when I first met you. I think I asked you what your favorite movie of all time was, and you said, that's a really weird question. And you're right. It is a weird question. I've been telling people now for a couple decades that Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie of all time, and I can still confidently say that, but the idea of having subcategories for your favorite things, I actually really like that because it just gives me permission to nerd out on so many things. All the things. Okay, so there's still four songs on this record. There's 14 songs. This is back in the day when they were just putting everything on the record, right? There was no trimming the fat whatsoever. No B-sides. Or maybe there was, but I mean, they spent two years recording it, so they went for broke. So we've got You Can Do It. More of like a funky disco Bee Gees meets the Pie Tasters. (laughs) Ska bands. It's a good song. I like it. I like the chorus. They're all coming flooding back to me now that I'm listening to it because it's been a while since we've listened to this all the way through. I know at least once in the summer, we usually put this on our Bluetooth speaker at least once all the way through. Oh, yeah. World Go Round is very 90s. Very 
Goo Goo Dolls, very mainstream rock, pop. Matchbox 20 vibes. Yeah, major Matchbox vibes. But again, I liked that they didn't even stay in their own subcategory on the one album. They pushed. And we see that with no doubt throughout the history of them existing as a band, right? They went crazy reggae for some albums. They went hip-hop for some, and that was all allowed. Yeah, and it was purposeful, and I remember they went on vacation somewhere to, I believe it was Jamaica, and they were all together as a band, and that really influenced a later record that a lot of people said they sold out on. I think it just speaks to the nature that you can't put this band in a box. Yeah, and it's one of the things that I still love about all of them, as they've collaborated over the years, as they continue to evolve. What do you think it is that gave them permission to do that? I feel like there were a lot of bands that they would get into a lot of trouble, so to speak, for blending categories or genres or whatnot. But maybe I was just rose-colored glasses about them, but I never felt like they got in trouble for pushing the boundaries or expanding outside of their typical genre. Do you feel like it's because they always had that punk undertone, that beat, that rhythm? Or did we just give them permission to bend all the rules? That's a good question. And I'm only thinking about it now just in looking at the background of the record, the fact that they went to 11 different studios, which means they had different personnel at all those studios. They had different engineers. They probably had a lot of time and leeway to experiment with guitar tones and different sounds and things. And I'm sure they were thinking, oh, well, I really want a rock song on the record, or we need just a straightforward pop song on the record, or we need a more punk rock tune or a more reggae influence song. So maybe it's just the fact that they had lots of money behind them. And I would imagine the studio was looking for a hit so they were looking for different styles of music to really capture an audience I'm sure some douchebag and our person which hopefully I'm not talking disparagingly about a good human or something out there but I would imagine some A&R guy was thinking oh this band has the right quote-unquote look and they're gonna be huge or whatever so I would imagine they were just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at them and maybe it was fun and exciting for a band a young band to go no we can experiment and we can take a bunch of time and we can do whatever we need to do here and they came out with a lot of great songs in the process and sold a ton of records I'm going to look up the stats on this record but I mean clearly it worked clearly they had plenty of potential and they realized that potential in having four singles from the album so I would imagine it was a combination of the band being very excited to try different things and just being fans of music different styles of music because they didn't want to just make another ska record like their first record and they didn't want to just make a reggae record they wanted to blend a lot of things the labels gave them the capacity to do that for better or worse. Yeah, that tracks. Yeah, I loved this song too. I loved that it was her breakup song. Yeah, she was like, nah, this is where we're done. We're done here. This is where we're wrapping it up now. And to be honest, man, I don't think I'd ever heard a girl singing about a breakup. It was always the girls were womp womp. I'm the one who got dumped. I'm the one who's heartbroken. But she calls the shots on this one. And I loved it. I loved it. It makes me wonder if they ever sought the help from a therapist or something to try to... I just feel like there's so much resentment in this record. There's partly resentment that inspired her, you know? Hell hath no fury for an artist who has been scorned because that's going to make for some great art. Not always. It doesn't have to be that way. I think you can make art as a contented, happy person too. But throughout history, you know, you've got very either angry, scorned, or sad artists that feel compelled to make art because of their experience. And this song is called End It On This, which is pretty much like 
stopping your feet and going, nope, drawing a line in the sand here. Right. And we see a lot more of it now. We see it with Billy. We see it with Casey Musgraves just had her quote unquote divorce record. Right. But that's the thing. Again, at that time, there weren't a lot of stories, songs, front women who were calling the shots. And it was so empowering and so exciting to hear in the 90s. She didn't wait to be drugged through the mud until she couldn't hang on anymore. She called it and she said, nope, this is where we're going to be done here. Yeah. Grunge was a total boys club, right? But you had, you did have some female artists in the 80s and the 70s and even the 60s going, nah, yeah. nah. It's true. It's true. But this was, she was the first for me. She was the first hero that I attached myself to her story. Through this album, I saw myself in those stories. I saw future me in those stories. And as I listened to this album, thinking about us being able to nerd out about it and whatnot, I replayed some of my stories and how I would have aligned with the way that she's shaping her stories in this album. And it continues to be very empowering and very exciting to think about such a strong independent woman going and doing these things. And yes, not to discredit the work that the dudes did on this album either, not to discredit that at all. Because even when you look at the music videos, you know, we were talking about the album cover and how she's really in the forefront, right? And the dudes are in the background. But when you watch the music videos or you listen to their interviews and things like that, I do think in the 90s, there was definitely, I'm sure, a push for the pretty front woman to be the center of attention and things like that. But I never got that impression from the rest of the band's demeanor or how they showed up in interviews or in music videos or things like that. They all had their personalities. They had their demeanors. You had the quiet one. You had the ex-boyfriend. You had the crazy drummer. You have, (laughs) you know, these dynamic personalities, but it was always really, really clear that they were a unit. They were a unit. They were a collaborative even with the relationship history and things like that, even with dynamic personalities. They did this together and I love that there were these dudes supporting these stories that she wanted to tell and having her back throughout it. Yeah, they all had their role to play in the band. I think that's cool too, the fact that they were a unit and they always looked cool in all of their press photos and everything. I think they wanted to play on that idea that maybe the record label was sort of pitting them against one another where you had Gwen, she's going to be the star. She's a star. And then you have the rest of the band members. It was almost like they were playing on that a little bit with Don't Speak. They knew what they were doing there. Even if it was a slight area of contention for the five of them or the four of them. Also, there was a little contention, I guess, with putting her brother, Eric, who was in the band up to this point on the album cover because he quit right before they released it. And he's in the far back of the band photo on the record, the actual record. I didn't realize that, but it's kind of interesting. Okay. And she was clearly influenced by Stevie Nicks, Pat Benatar, Dolly Parton, Hell Hath No Fury. Yeah, she probably grew up with those things. I'm sure of it. All right, we're on the last song. Title track of the album, Tragic Kingdom. Yeah, I love this song. So dynamic, kind of drudgy, almost sad and angry at the same time and encapsulates the entire record, the theme of the entire record. I think the front half's probably a little bit more upbeat. I think they did that on purpose, right? This record is 14 songs and it is literally 59 minutes and 30 seconds, just shy of a full hour. This is a journey of an album. There's a lot to unpack here and a lot of substance here. What do you think of Tragic Kingdom, the final song? How old was Gwen when she when they were working on this album? She's 52 now, which is insane to even think about because she just doesn't age. She's a superhuman, apparently. Alien that never ages. All right, so let's just do the math here. 52 
minus 26 is 26. So she's had Tragic Kingdom in her life for half of her life now. Okay, so think back to being in early to mid 20s, right? There's this weird juxtaposition in life where you're supposed to be an adult and you're supposed to have your shit together and things. And I feel like a lot of us are still really figuring it out at that age. I know that I was. I know that at that age, I was finally starting to figure out who I was and how I wanted to show up in the world. And I think that Tragic Kingdom, putting it in the context of it is not the Magic Kingdom, there's this moving away from how you thought things were going to be into how they actually are, right? It's not this fairy tale. That's not how life works. And I feel like that's sort of the theme of the album. There are all these ideas of what we think life is supposed to be or how we think we're supposed to show up in the world. And then there's the reality of how it actually is. And who do you really truly want to be? How do you want to show up in the world? And I feel like when you're that age, that's what you're coming to terms with. And you're really solidifying what that means for you, what your identity is. And I think that's really, really clear. You know, it's this shattering of this fantasy. When we were kids growing up, and she's she's a little older than me, but not by much. And we grew up with Sleeping Beauty and Cinderella and Snow White. These stories of being rescued and that's how you get your happily ever after and Gwen was creating her own happily ever after and doing it on her own terms and envisioning life the way that she wanted it to be. I do think that the whole album and and the order that they put it in and everything, it is a journey. And I think that they did all of that on purpose. And to think that they spent two years, two years creating this while also playing other shows and trying to figure out how they want to show up in the world and all of the things. This is a great place to end it. This idea that we're creating our own future and it's not going to be the fantasy version but it's ours staking claim owning and thriving in the tragic kingdom yeah that's great i think that's a great place to end it too yes let's end it on this yes let's thank you so so much this is even better than i could have possibly imagined i loved absolutely loved hearing your thoughts on one of your favorite records of all time one of your female fronted 1995 favorite records of all time in the pop rock realm (laughs) because i'm sure you've got some other subcategories for that decade and year in the world of music there was a lot of good music that came out of the 90s this being a record that was just a crucial vital record of the times thank you again I really appreciate it. I love you. Thank you for humoring me. And we've been talking about doing this for a while. Do you want to say anything to the listeners? I think everybody should go back and listen to their favorite album from their freshman year of high school right now. Just go do it and see how it's like shaped your view of how you show up in the world. Ooh, I really like that. That sounds like something I might suggest to the listeners, but somehow you did it better than I ever possibly could have. Okay, so thank you guys so much for listening. If you've listened to this far, if you have have any noteworthy memories of No Doubt. Real quick, I saw No Doubt one time and it was literally at the Warp Tour in 2000. We drove up to Minneapolis to see them and I remember it was amazing and I never thought I would see No Doubt at Warp Tour and that same year Green Day played. Isn't that crazy? Have you ever seen No Doubt play live? I have never seen No Doubt play live which is insane. I saw Gwen once and it was when she was on her Harajuku tour which was super fun and really fascinating. I generally don't like huge venue shows. They kind of stress me out. I'm too many 
humans and don't distract me from my music. So, no, but, you know, I'm going to keep holding out hope someday. We're going to go see Bikini Kill, so, you know, get to check that off my bucket list. Yes, me too, and that is awesome. So, yeah, if No Doubt ever gets back together and they go on a world tour and they come anywhere near, we're definitely going to go because we got to check that off the bucket list. But, yeah, all right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Appreciate you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful rest of your week. We've got some more interviews in store for you. I'm going to be talking to some more band members and some behind-the-scenes people. So until then, take care. Keep having a blast. Enjoy your music because it's good for the brain. It's good for the hormones. All right, take care. Bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to help the podcast out, if you want to do a massive solid for us here at Having a Blast, if you could just leave us a review, a five-star review would be amazing wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you just want to recommend this podcast to a friend who might enjoy it. All right. Hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you're having a blast listening to your favorite records. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs>